Hey, we are live. Welcome everyone to another edition of our weekly Wednesday Lunch and Learn, where we get to learn from different markets all across the country to see what's going on outside of the Bay Area. Today we have, uh, I guess, Christine times two um, today, which happens to be perfect timing. So we're, it's perfect timing there. So let's let's just jump right into it. Let's have some brief introductions. Uh, Christine, Chow, why don't you go first in terms of sure. you know, your background, how long you've been in the business, and what you did actually before real estate. Okay. Uh, my name is Christine Chow. I'm from Austin, Texas, and um, been a, a real estate broker for 16 years, been licensed for 18 years. And so... Um, Wow, I think I kind of told you my age, huh? <laughs> Are you working but, since uh, middle school? Yes. Practically, <laughs> yeah. So my dad got me into real estate. My family has always owned restaurants. And so, of course, you know, when we get here, you know, in 79, my parents can't speak English. And so at a young age, I was looking at contracts, not knowing what to do. You know, parents can't read English or speak English. And so I was negotiating contracts and back then it was much easier, right? I mean, the contract is well, like a page long, you do a hang handshake, you know, they paid me in cash, probably in a shopping bag or something, totally not what we're going to do these days. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so I had that experience and then, um, you know, we opened a couple of restaurants. My dad asked me to take a break. And so during that break, he asked me, to get into real estate because at that time he was like, you'd like to drive a nice car, wear nice clothes and talk to people because that's all it takes, right? And so he got me to real estate and I love it. I can't imagine doing anything else. So yeah, it's my story. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, Christina and Daniel, husband and wife team. So please share a little of the backstory. <laughs> Okay, I'll go first. So I'm Christine Morgan. Um, we are located in Orange County, California. So uh, we live in a little beach town called Costa Mesa. Um, it borders between Newport Beach, Huntington Beach, and Irvine. Um, so we've been here for over a decade now, 11 to 12 years. And we're both born and raised in Orange County, um, never really left. Orange County. Uh, I joined real estate actually right out of graduating from UC Irvine. And both of my parents were also in the real estate industry. So it was pretty natural for me to jump right into real estate as well. I saw just the liberty they had and be, they were able to stay home and kind of man their own schedules while having young kids. So growing up, it was all something I really wanted to pursue. So I've been in real estate now for 14 years. Um, I love it. It's I, I can't imagine doing anything else either. It's you know being able to just have different experiences with every sale that we do and all the people that we get to meet and eventually become good friends with and you know have a great referral network base here. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, so my name is Daniel Morgan, uh, Christine's husband. I uh, have a little bit of different background and a little bit different view of the market. I spent 15 years in institutional real estate investment and development and management. I worked on a couple of big deals up in your neck of the woods, Spencer, Hunters Point and Treasure Island, Council Park with Five Point Communities. I was one of the original employees there. After that, a um, couple years later, uh, after the, the financial crisis, I got hired by Lehman Brothers Bankruptcy Estate to unwind some of their more complicated assets on the West Coast, started buying some apartments, um, started doing a bunch of deals on our 
own account with partners, and then we started a property management company to um, to oversee those investments. So that's kind of the cliff notes of of my background. And we don't really work together, but we work we uh, we have some common clients and some common uh, crossover. But yeah. Ah, uh, interesting. And so, Daniel, how long have you been in the, I guess, the residential property management space? Since it sounds like there's different phases of of your career so far. Yeah. So we started managing residential properties probably six years ago. Um, after we bought some apartments, we had some managers that were just awful. Um, I caught someone stealing quarters from me. If you're going to steal quarters, I'm sure you're doing things worse than stealing quarters. Um, some of our investors that asked us to start kind of doing our own management and then do a lot for her clients as well as our own deals and some other third-party clients as well. Oh, interesting. That's very nice because Christine also does, uh, Christine Chow also does property management too. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's really good to hear. So I'd love to just jump into that specific aspect for both sides. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of clearly news from an unemployment perspective, but what's also interesting is there is a lot of stimulus to help them. So from what you guys have seen so far with your portfolio for your clients or yourself, is there much of a net impact or is it kind of evens out and might be even better for some people? Like Christine Chow, why don't you go first with Austin? Sure, sure. Um, and Daniel, my story was kind of similar to yours too. You know, I have about six years too into property management and my clients asked, you know, if I buy it, would you manage it? So that's how I kind of grew my portfolio. But I think, you know, when, when all this started happening um, with the whole COVID and the whole scare, I, I kind of started communicating with my tenants right away. You know, I, I knew a lot of them were probably going to lose jobs. You know, my family owners owns a restaurant. And so I, I knew that whole part was, was happening. And so I was already contacting them every, you know, we have, we manage about 122 doors. So we called all of them. I had my assistants get on the phone with them and um, just, communicate with them and make them feel comfortable and, you know, let them know that, you know, if they can't make their rents, you know, please let me know right away so I can inform my clients to, Hey, you need to make your mortgage. Right. And so, um, you know, I think we're really fortunate. Um, I haven't had a lot of like really bad cases yet. I have one eviction, but it wasn't because they weren't paying rent because of the situation, but because they weren't, they're behind rents a few months ago. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it being good communications with them was the key for us. And, you know, I mean, I've waived all late fees, right. If, mm -hmm. if they, you know, a couple hundred dollars short me as a company, I just waived it just so we can get caught up and move on. And so mm -hmm. I think there's protections, but yeah, I think being commu good communications. Yeah. And for Texas, is there any changes for eviction um, procedures? Because I know in California there is, but is yeah. there any, any changes there? Yeah, but for the governor, um, you know, there was a couple of months where they said the no evictions. And so for two months, if the tenants couldn't pay for whatever reason, there was no evictions. But now I think things are opening up. So there are protections for that. But it's still, um, I mean, it's, it's an issue, right? Because, you know, I, I think the protection has it protect the tenants and the landlord too, because a lot of landlords won't be able to make it without, you know, two, three months of not having rent. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Christina and Daniel, how about you guys from how you have seen it play out? So we manage everything from uh, condo to apartments and uh, even a, a couple of retail centers and some commercial stuff. Um, I'll start with the residential side. <clears throat> We're at essentially hundred percent collections. Um, 
our communication efforts started out reaching out to the landlords pre the shutdown, telling them, "Hey, this is coming, and here are what you need, like here are the potential things that we that we see happening. Hold reserves, be prepared for the worst case scenario." Um, as Christine said, and as I believe you mentioned, with some of the stimulus, we haven't seen that. But um, Disneyland's, by the way, for example, one of the largest employers in Orange County. Um, all of their employees are furloughed or laid off. They're currently getting, you know, an extra six hundred dollars a month through the CARES Act, and that expires at the end of July. So we're still telling our people, our our owners, we're not through this yet. We're kind of uh, optimistic, uh, cautiously optimistic, hoping that August and September are okay. That's when I think we're going to actually start seeing the real pain. But if there is pain, it depends if there's a fourth round of the CARES Act or not and how that pan, pans out. On, on the commercial side, it, it's been an absolute bloodbath. Um, it's been 40 to 60% of tenants not paying rent, depending on the use. Um, in certain spaces, there's not there's still not the same protections for the landlord and and and, um, and uh, you know mortgage forbearance with a life company through um, for retail centers is much harder to pull off than it is for single family homeowners. So luckily, we had really we have really well capitalized clients and, and we're able to weather the storm. Um, our approach with how we deal with the tenants is slightly different. Um, number one, we try to be completely empathetic and, and work with them however possible. But, but we have found in the past with situations, there's never been a situation like this, but in situations that are most similar to this, uh, when you say, hey, if you need help, ask for it, people will ask for help, even when it's not necessarily needed. So we kind of um, intentionally put our heads in the sand regarding non-payment. I probably received uh, 10% of my tenants asking for relief because there's this eviction moratorium. So we said, hey, we're happy to work with, with you. Just please document your hardship so that we can take that back to the ownership and show them that this hardship's real. And then usually within like 15 minutes, they paid their rent. So um, there's some people who are trying to be opportunistic, but for the most part, everyone's been very you know pleasant to work with. Um, we've been working hand in hand with our commercial clients, helping them try to get PPP loans, the EIL grants, and the like, just to help them kind of carry, carry themselves on. But um, it's it's. I don't think we're through the woods yet. We'll see what what August and September looks like. But um, we're cautiously optimistic that it's going to be okay because people ha they have time to prepare for that. So a lot of people on the on the outside are reading the headline articles. Whether it's they can't afford to pay, um, you know, their monthly expenses. Now, do you see in the commercial space that? Uh, the actual rent itself is going to be lowered or is it still too early or they're not willing to do that this early? I think it's going to be a case by case basis. Um, I've got one retail center in particular where it's the property's pretty well positioned for this. It's about 40,000 square feet. Kaiser Permanente takes up 7,000 of it. And we have a bunch of restaurants that are takeout restaurants. Like how better positioned could you possibly be? Um, it's going to, within that, properties, there's some uses that probably don't make sense in the future. And there's some uses that are absolutely people that we want to have. And, and they've been great, great tenants with, 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 with great character. Um, if people are making the efforts to try to work, like work through stuff, we're going to work with them to make sure that their business uh, exists on the other side of this. Some businesses, I have a, a nail salon that's reached out and said, Hey, we're worried about our business in the future. If we can understand how your business might be changed, you know, with different restrictions going forward. So that's something that we'll, we'll look at on a case by case basis. 
But it, we've got another guy who he's an insurance company. He, he His business really hasn't been impacted. People still need car insurance. They still need home insurance. So if there's a reasonable a reasonable reason to support rent abatement, we'll take a look at it. For the most part, we're going to be looking at, at, at rent deferment and we're going to be looking to our, 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 our tenants to uh, access all grants and federal money and state money first. And then, and then once those, once those resources have been fully utilized or, or tapped out and not, not available, then we'll have the conversation. So it's a little premature, I think, to have those conversations with most of our tenants. Interesting. So. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. And so Christine Chow, can you share just in terms of a lot of things are starting to open up, um, especially here in California. Sure. And so can you share, you know, what was the situation like from a real estate perspective, like of this, even being able to see houses back in mid-March and what it is, what is it like now? Is it wide open? Where are things in Austin? Well, I mean, right now we're in phase two, right? Um, at the beginning when shelter in place for us was in the middle of like March 17th. And so for a couple of weeks, um, real estate wasn't essential. And so, you know, there was no open houses, there was no showings. And then luckily, you know, just, you know, in a few, for me, it was a couple of weeks to me, that's kind of a short term, but um, the governor had opened up, deemed were essential and just slowly, you know, started making changes. And so, you know, during the whole month of April, it was just like COVID month, right? There's no showings. People were, were in panic. They didn't know how to, you know, cope with that. We didn't know how to deal with it, right? So a lot of, Show, I mean, a lot of properties went um, temporary off market or was, was withdrawn. You know, a lot of people were afraid of the days in the market being, a similar, you know, being negative. And so, but now um, that, you know, phase two is opening up, I mean, the market's super hot in Austin right now, you know, um, multiple offers. It's slowly getting back to business, back to the norm. So. Nice. Interesting. And Christine Morgan. <laughs> yeah, related to like how has yeah. things opened up in Orange, you know, in Orange County in general, and are there different? Because I mean, LA is so big. Are there different counties that are actually more aggressive than others, or is it all kind of following the same protocols? Um, it's I, I haven't. I would say it's all. No. What, what do you think, LA County? LA County is much more cons conservative in their opening up. Oh, um, yeah. so they're they're much lower. They've also been hit a lot harder, and I know that's market to market. Right, right. We've got a good friend who's a nurse in the South Bay and it's a really hard hit demographic. And then we've got a friend whose uh, wife is a nurse at Cedars and it's not been a, as bad there. But overall, um, LA is being slower. Mm -hmm. Orange County, San Diego are about, I think, neck and neck and how they're opening up. Riverside is a little bit, uh, is, is, it's, it's the same as us. They right. open up salons as well today. But in, in terms of the actual like changes in the real estate dynamic and what we saw, same thing with, I'm sure what Christine said is in April, the first three weeks, totally dead. No one was going out. No one was doing any showings. Listings were getting put on hold right and left. Um, and then now, now that things, I think people are more comfortable going out again, um, masked up. I mean, we have obviously, I'm sure the same as both states, but a lot more guidelines we have to follow with the masks we have to sanitize right we have to not touch anything we have to post the guidelines on the front doors of all of our properties we have to have disposable keys for every person that enters the property 
Um, so that's something that Overbridge is making us require to do. Um, Which is interesting because like a year ago, if you had asked a brokerage, like, should you make people wear booties in a house and say no because it's slip and fall? We, yeah, we had so an incident where someone in our company had oh, wow, really? and fire fell and slipped from it and sued the owner and won. And <sighs> so we, for the longest time, I know, it's crazy, right? So for the longest time, I was like, absolutely no booties. Like, your shoes off have to have to, but we're not wearing booties. Yeah. And so now it's like, it's a requirement that we have to. So I don't know. It's, it's a learning it's a learning process. And we have to obviously sign the PED form um, and have it fully executed before the buyers can enter the property. So, And and how are uh, sellers feeling now in your market? Are, are there a lot more listings? How does that compare to pre-shelter? And then if you can also share about the demand aspect, Christine mentioned the demand aspect was, you know, certainly has picked up tremendously. How are those levels um, compared to pre-shelter these days? Right. So pre-shelter, it was, you know, a, it was wild over here. We had lower inventory compared to a year ago. Um, I would say, again, it paused temporarily for the month of April. Um, and now it's hot again. Uh, we have a lot less inventory than we did last year. The demand is still up. Interest rates are still low. So a lot of buyers that I had that were sitting on the fence all of last year are now texting me trying to, you know, find properties to move into finally. Um, but I would say that it's, it's a hot market down here. Um, the days on market is about half of what it was last year also for listings. So it's a little cooler in the higher price point, right? Just because okay. of the absence of, of the jumbo loan but that back. And when that does, do you think the market will come back with it? Interesting. And Christine, uh, Chow for listings wise, like, Okay. Where is that at current levels? If you if you ran it recently, just like yeah. how is that fairer than before? Yeah, I mean, you know, sellers want to sell their homes, right? There is buyers that want to buy properties, and so you know, we just got to make it work. But I think in April, um, the numbers was about thirty percent down, and so now it's going trending down. So we're at ten percent, right? Um, and so I think things are going back to normal really quickly in Austin. I mean, we have a really resilient market and it's super strong. You know, everybody wants to be in Austin. It's still a great place to invest. And so, I mean, we're doing, I think we're doing great. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Do you see any trends at all? Because I know downtown Austin is, you know, yeah. clearly a very nice spot. A lot sure. of younger people want to move and, and live there. But do you see less interest there given the dynamics? I mean, I think, I think Austin, I mean, downtown is always going to be a hot spot, right? I mean, that's where the, our, a lot of our, you know, famous 6th Street, the bars, it's, you know, everybody wants to be down there. But, you know, recently, you know, with all my um, suburbia and a part of North Austin, I mean, those are flying off the rack, right? I think people are still wanting to be close to downtown, but a lot of the millennials are moving further north. And, um, you know, even with offices, I mean, you know, they're people are working from home, right? And so I'm sure they're trying to make some changes to where they're gonna practice social distancing and have some more of a open space. And um, I mean, I can see office buildings, whenever their leases are up or close up, they're making that transition to kind of get away from downtown, sure. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And what about for the, in the OC? Um, I know in SoCal, downtown LA is a big hub for for office buildings and, and that certainly has gone through a lot of changes, but are there like these kind of downtown areas around Orange County or, or is it mostly suburbia in general? You take offense to the word suburbia. 
It's not. We've got a couple major yeah. kind of business centers. Right. We've got Fashion Island. It's where Pimco um, is is headquartered. It's Fashion Island is actually the home of one of the original hedge funds. Um, oh. So like we have a pretty robust financial segment. Amazon's got a high rise down here. Um, uh, Facebook bought Oculus VR, which is an an Irvine company. So we have these little pockets. There's Fashion Island in Newport Beach, a bunch of high rises around one of the most beautiful malls in the world. If you haven't been there, go there. Not a commercial. It's just that awesome. There's the Irvine Business Complex, which is the uh, airport area. There's Irvine Spectrum. All of these are like classic offices. Alicia Viejo has got some stuff. And then down in San Diego, you've got some great office space in downtown and in La Jolla. But it doesn't live like downtown LA at all. Right. Well, you know, spread out enough. But there are major hubs, so we get the yeah. Are there a lot of homes and condos around, or is it most just commercial space? So people do drive, do have to drive to get there. Um, if you live in Orange County, you, you gotta drive. Car. Yeah, you gotta yeah. drive just yeah. about anywhere. There okay. are condos but, and there yeah. are some apartments, but right. definitely not enough to, to supply uh, the workforce for those office buildings. Right. Um, one of the great things. So there's certain markets, and Laguna Beach is one of the greatest places to live in the entire world. And there's some people, executives of large uh, Fortune 500 companies who have their headquarters in Irvine because it's like a five, 10-minute drive to their home in Laguna Beach. And that's one of the things that I think attracts some of the, the companies that we have down here is they have these really unique opportunities to live in really great places. Nice. And uh, Christine Chow, have you, have you done anything – um, that was different during the shelter in place? And is there any like new practices that you've learned or started to develop that you think this is going to be the new norm of how real estate transactions are going to be? Um, love to hear that. Sure. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, this whole Zoom and virtual, I mean, it's been around for so long, but each time someone gave me an option, hey, let's Zoom or dial in, I always dial it in, right? Mm. And so now it's, it's not really an option, you know, you have to um, get on. But so for me, that that was that was my thing, was hopping on Zoom, doing something virtual, because I was, you know, Monday through Friday, at least four or five times a week, I always, uh, for lunch, I always had a um, business lunch, and that was always face-to-face, and then, in one, one week, I'll probably have like two, three, maybe happy hours or, you know, events that I did, networking events, you know. So right. my business was really in person. Right. And so for me, the, the Zoom and just being virtual and doing the 3Ds. I mean, yeah, that, that for me, that that's the difference. Yeah. Got it. And Christina, Daniel, how about you guys? Was there any any new processes that you guys had implemented or learned about? over the last two months that you think will be bigger moving forward or you think just kind of moving forward, it will kind of go back to what it was before. Virtual tours. Yeah. I think the virtual tour and being able to, because we have that 3d Matterport and that's what right. most people view properties with first. And it is very, I mean, I, I found this out the other day. I didn't know, but I have a client, he's an engineer and he, we had already gone to view the property and, he, we needed to go back again, or I, I suggested, okay, let's measure a space to add in a dishwasher. And he was like, oh, I can just do it on the Matterport. And I had no idea you could do that. He literally went in, like was able to walk the house again, took the measurements. And I was like, oh my gosh, had no idea that was a feature. So having wow. those at the tip of our hands now, being able to even go measure a, a property without ever having to go to it is 
crazy to me. And I think that's going to change the way people do their initial showings where mm -hmm. they can see it online. They don't actually have to go view the house. And we've had agents in Orange County and I'm sure where you are too, who have put home transactions and sales together with that without ever having to go, you know, to the actual house. So it's pretty, mm -hmm. pretty wild. I mean, the Zoom meetings too, we did a buyer consultation the other day via Zoom because we didn't want to meet in person. It was the buyer that actually initiated it. So I think there's going to be some changes. Um, you know, we house viewings and inspections will remain the same, but even our offices, our brokers shut down all of our offices where we can't even enter. So they changed out all the keys. They're asking us not to print, do print marketing anymore. It's all digital. So I think <laughs> that, that could change for, I don't know, forever. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this impacts people's uh at least from an investor's perspective a lot of people like to be able to see stuff touch it mm -hmm. but like it brings them to their own market and now as people are getting more uncomfortable with not important 3d tours is that going to open up people's um desire to invest in in from orange county to invest in austin without having to fly out there you know to see every single property maybe you do a matterport on like you know 10 15 homes in different neighborhoods and then you fly out to austin and you get with christine Pull the trigger then, or maybe you just never go. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Is there anything at, at either of your brokerages that have done things to make make these changes? Because I know now you, you know the whole model of in the past of going into a an office is not available or and won't be available for some time. Has a broker started making any sort of changes too on their end that you've seen? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they shut everything down. <laughs> well, well, positive changes, I mean. <laughs> As in, is there anything that they're doing to adapt with these times? Or we changed all of our locks, so we can't go in now. <laughs> so, I, I mean, we've been doing just a number of Zoom meetings pretty much right. every day. We've got like a whole rollout of four different events throughout the day. Um, and we're in an international brokerage. So, I think they're a little more serious about it, even on the West Coast, because uh, our main headquarters are in New York. So it, they got hit so bad up there with the environment and we weren't as impacted obviously with coronavirus in terms of numbers, but because they were, it got, it bled over into, I think our offices here. So, I mean, the Zoom calls are pretty cool. You can just like, we don't even, I, I don't even use the video feature. <laughs> so I just like roll out of bed and, you know, call in and, get to do a whole office meeting without having ever to be seen. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> nice. What What are those topics? Like, is it just uh, updates? Is it procedures? Like what are the themes of these meetings? It's all sorts of things. Um, a lot of it, they start with like a morning role play, this back and forth oh. role play. And then a lot of times once, if uh, like the department of real estate rolls out any new procedures, we go over all of that. We, we go over changes in, the, the documents that we have to now sign and all the just addendums that are added. And, um, and then just like, as a, you know, as a nation that we have a lot of calls with the New York uh, executives over there and what they're seeing just so we can kind of like what you're doing, you know, just get information from across the, the States, which is very cool. Interesting. Okay. Christine, any, anything on your end from the brokerage you're with is like there any changes? Sure. Yeah, well, I own my own brokerage and right. I have about, and I have a home office. I have about four agents, and so they're already kind of working from home, and so not a lot of changes. But um, I'm part of um, Austin Board of Realtors, and we have such an awesome um, association where they're always constantly um, 
you know, they have such a great relationship where they always have constantly updates. They put out market trends for you. I mean, they, they make us agents look like a superstar, you know. Um, there's always updates. There's always um, different articles that they, um, they, they keep us informed so we can inform our clients too. So we're very lucky to have them, so. Mm-hmm. Nice. And yeah. love to get your predictions um, of what you guys kind of see moving forward. Uh, sounds like at least in the short term, it seems really interesting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, while listings seem to be going up, but buyer demand is still very strong. Like, how do you guys see the summer play out? And um, if there's any kind of thoughts of what you guys think of the end of the year, uh, Christine Chow, why don't you go first? Sure. Um I think with COVID, there's like a pause, right? A couple of months pause where nothing really happened. Um, and so now I think in Austin, we're going to end up very strong. We're going to have a strong, very strong spring. I, I feel like we're going to have a strong winter. Um, I think it's going to go all the way down, you know, to the end of 2021. And then maybe there might be some good opportunities, right, to, to um, purchase more investment properties. But I, I think it's going to be very strong. I mean, we have we have really low unemployment in Austin. It's about 3.5. The national average is like 14.7. We have all the tech here that's um, continuing to to grow and um, have the headquarters here. And so, yeah, we're going to have a very strong, very strong year. Cool. In year, so. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And Christina Daniel, I think kind of predictions. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about you know the rest of the year. We're currently in escrow on two multifamily deals, and with ourselves and and partners and the ground of development in in LA. Um, there's definitely some market risk, but if the deals are structured right, it, you can insulate yourself from that. I think the two big var- variables that we're keeping an eye on are going to be CARES Act round four. And, um, and interest rates. Um, Orange County and all of California, well, at least all of coastal California, such a, so, so supply constrained. Um, I have a lot of investors that use lines of credit and they have lines of credit now down at like 2%. You can buy a three cap to make money with a 2% line of credit. So I think it'll be interesting to see um, how, how the capital markets open back up for jumbo and commercial that right now it's a little constrained. Um, but it, there's just that's so cheap. It's going to be even cheaper when things cal- calm down a little bit as spreads come down over the the, the different indices. Um, so I don't see a huge I don't see a huge pullback of any sort just because again it's so supply constrained and then just keep debt. It'll be there will be ways to lose money, but there's definitely going to be ways to make money if you find the right deal with the right value and opportunities. Um, and then I think on the transactional side of what do you think things will thaw up? And- it's, it's, I mean, it's one actually really interesting thing I was just thinking about is how um, a few of the buyers that we've recently met are all engaged and were set to get married this mm. summer or fall or winter because right. they can't get married anymore. They're making a move sooner now to buy their next step up home or their first home. So it's okay. something that we're waiting to do after they were going to get married. And it, it's quite a handful of them that I've seen do this. So, I mean, that could be the next trend too, is like, <laughs> people, you know, actually have their wedding, unfortunately. One couple but it's a good opportunity. Decided to buy. to buy a house instead of get married because you can't get married now. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. 
<laughs> just, just waiting a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's interesting. Daniel, yeah. can you actually share about that multifamily, uh, you know, those two that you're in, like, yeah. were they, they distressed by any means or is this like, it's a part of, yeah, we've got a couple pretty big clients. One of them's a real estate private equity company. It's got close to a billion under management. So they brought this deal to us, asked us to, 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 to be the operator on it. Um, so this is a part of a bigger portfolio. Um, one of them's in a, just a great market, been mismanaged. So it's, it's really just a straightforward value add, um, retending the, you know, do some some renovations and retenant the building over time. Another one is a little bit more interesting. Um, for those of you in California, you may or may not know, but on January 1st, they passed a new ADU law that allows you to build by right. Um, so you were able to build ADU units in certain markets before. There's all these restrictions. Now statewide, you can build ADU units up to 1,200 square feet. You can do two of them on multifamily properties. So one of them, it's a small fourplex, but it has about 8,000 square feet of additional land. So we're going to be um, closing on that and then building two additional ADU units on it and then doing a value add to the front of it. So they both have value add stories that we're not just buying you know, a straight, um, just a cap rate deal or, or anything like that. So interesting that that is interesting that yeah it's 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 good that those larger projects are still moving do you see actually more um the larger private equity players because i know like um i think it was blackstone may have just raised another three and a half billion dollars or something some really large number another fund uh i think geared towards single family have you seen any of that play out just yet or is that just they're just getting ready that doesn't they can't play in our market um okay. They can't play in Austin. They play in uh, mostly places that you and I haven't heard of, where mm -hmm. where your cash on cash returns are bigger. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that there will be some move into more core markets on both the single family and what I've generally referred to as private capital um, mm -hmm. apartment deals. Um, but yeah, it's there's just not enough yield there for a Blackstone to get involved in Orange County. Um, we've talked to groups who've tried to do it before and we're like, well, we're happy to show you, but you're not going to buy anything. Interesting. Yeah. Like you can't buy a house and get a 10% cash on cash return. Right. No. Got it. No. And Christine Chow, um, are, are there I buyers in your market? Like it, did they ever come in? Um, and are yeah. they still active? Um, Yes, they did come to our market. I don't think they're a big factor for us, right? Um, for April and for a little while, there was no listings. I think everybody kind of, they kind of pulled out of it, right? Um, but I, I, I actually, I just did one recently, a cash buyer with some iBuyers. And so I don't think oh, it's well. a big factor in Austin. Mm -hmm. Like, the, yeah, which, what, are, what, are, what is the iBuyer company out in, out in your area? Open door. Mm-hmm. Is it just that one or is there a couple of them out there from what I you've seen? Them, but I can't remember their names at this point for some reason. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. And then Christina, Daniel, I don't think iBuyers are in SoCal, right? They're trying to be. They're, they're trying to be. Oh, interesting. Like if you go on Zillow or Redfin, you'll see like get an offer. But I don't think anyone's, I haven't heard of anyone selling to Zillow or Redfin. Open Door is not out here yet. Um, I think Open Door might have been here for like, like yeah, like a, a hot yeah, second. short time, and then they were gone. 
those, I mean, those don't work as well over here either. And I don't think we're impacted really. It's, it's not to say yeah. they can't figure it out. They just haven't figured out our market yet. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And then maybe my last question would be, uh, you know, we, we talked about kind of the core area. So whether it's Austin or Orange County in general, are there specific cities around there that are very interesting of they're growing really fast because a lot of economic development is there? Um, like maybe Christine Chow, you can go first. I mean, Austin is, I know, I know South side has been developing, North side has been developing, everywhere has been developing. So uh, yeah. where are you kind of the most bullish or there's most interesting activity from what you've seen? Sure. In Austin, I mean, it, it, for cash flow, is it, probably not in Austin. And so actually you have, I think you have a bunch of choices because all around Austin, there's Pflugerville with um, the Amazon warehouse is going through. We have Brown Rock, which has Dell. Um, we have Huddle that I heard there's a rumor that um, Tesla is, is going to have a factory oh. there. We have Buda. I mean, I think outside of Austin, you're going to find some good opportunities to invest in that's still going to have cash flow and you're still going to have um, appreciation. I mean, not as strong as Austin, of course, but I mean, if you want cash flow and appreciation, I think outside of Austin is going to have some opportunities. So, Got mm -hmm. it. Interesting. And yeah. Christina and Daniel, how about you guys? Any interesting cities that are on the rise or they're doing a lot of economic development? We're really bullish on our particular city, Costa Mesa. Um, but I think the same thesis applies to anywhere in Orange County where there's older home stock that's generally well located. Um, no one, no one invests in Southern California for cash flow specifically. It, right. It's going to be a total re return. So you're going to want if it's a single family home, you're going to want something that was built in the '50s with a kitchen where a woman's not to be seen or heard, and you can close the door <laughs> on now. You can like it up and, and make it more modern. Um, so anywhere that's kind of well located and close to, to, to jobs, I think, um, yeah, like with older home stock that has decent schools and there's a bunch of little markets around here, Coast Mesa, Huntington Beach, parts of Mountain Valley, parts of Westminster, parts of Teston, yeah. parts of Santa Ana. Right. Interesting. It's, or Southern California is all one kind of city. You can't really, right. you know, unless if you don't know if you <laughs> crossed over. <laughs> yeah, you're not sure if you crossed over. Is there a lot of, it sounds like Costa Mesa probably has a lot of renovations happening for what you just described. Yeah, tons. And the, yeah, the thing about Costa Mesa where we live is we're we're so beach close. We're like a couple miles from the beach, um, but we're not paying the Newport Beach prices. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many job centers around Newport Beach and Irvine. And Costa Mesa is kind of, it's turning into a very like hipster city. Um, I think we've matured past the hipster city. I think hipster city is what's happened. What happens first that brings in the right. good restaurants and things like that. Yeah, okay. Like that. We've got yeah. all of it now. So. now it's so established. <laughs> yeah. Costa Mesa, I think it's like trademark capital of cool. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Really cool developer out here. Um, he used to be a, like the president of Quicksilver. He built these fairly famous retail centers, the lab, the camp. He's done a bunch of these things that are really kitschy, really cool, and they just have so much personality. And there's not a lot of personality in Costa Mesa, or sorry, in Orange County. Costa Mesa is one of the few places Pretty that style. has. We have good restaurants. We got art. We got all, all of those things. And then you know, you're four miles from the beach. You can hop on one of three freeways and be anywhere in Orange County or we're South. So, we're LA super central. Twenty minutes. Yeah. Um, 
I can take a $8 Uber to John Wayne Airport and be in San Francisco in an hour and eight minutes. Um, <laughs> Interesting, right. Well, I didn't ask you guys this, but I think it'll be helpful for everyone to know, like what is the average price point in uh, in that market? So whether it's a condo, I don't, are there townhomes in Costa Mesa too, um, or is it not yeah. so much? Yeah, we got townhomes. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I'll have Christine Chow, you want to go first of just generally, you know, what it is in downtown Austin and then, you know, what it is in Round Rock. Sure. I mean, I think like downtown, you're probably looking at close to 300, 350. And then as you get further out outside of Austin, you're probably looking at, you know, 180, wow. some parts 150, you know, not too bad. Dang. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is that missing a zero in there? Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Uh and yeah, Christine and Daniel, like I know I know there's a lot of cities all around, but I'd love to hear what Newport Beach might be, that kind of the average there and then yeah. Irvine and, and other areas. Let me let me also pull up Irvine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, oh. no worries. For Costa Mesa, um, we're an average about eight hundred seventy thousand, hmm. um, but that's you know from houses to small studio condos. You know, um, we've got yeah, a condo. That you can probably buy a condo here for what six hundred, four or six six hundred thousand, and then like the high like end, the, minimum. the high end could be what two two million, three million. Yeah. Yeah. So it, wow. it, it range so. As I say, if your head's uh, your head's in the fire and your feet are up on the ice, on average you're fine. So that average number in Costa Mesa doesn't really tell tell you a whole lot. Yeah, but you can get like a a, a ranch style home that needs a lot of work, fifteen hundred square feet for eight hundred for about eight hundred. So. Okay, and Irvine looks it's about the same. It's not pretty much head to head with Costa Mesa in terms of overall values and medium sale price. And then Newport Beach, because it is Newport Beach, um, one of the higher, you know, per square foot, they're at about 1.8 million on average. And and there are there a lot of condos there, or that's mostly single yeah. family? And that there still is. Yeah. They don't, oh, they don't interesting. There's a Some the multifamily. Like if you go down on the, the peninsula, there's like oh, two yeah, and four yeah. unit multifamily things. Right. But those uh-huh. are like, yeah, yeah. Million, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, right? Yeah, so there is some multifamily, but not like all the multifamily is really expensive. Right. But you, and, you get on the water. Oh, there is some up on the hill, too. Yeah. Not a ton. Interesting. And, and the Irvine is mostly newer as well. It, it is a planned development area. Is that correct? or It is. Yeah, but it's kind of split. So there's two parts of Irvine. There's the part closer to the 405 freeway, which is kind of neighboring Costa Mesa and Newport. So that's the older Irvine area by UC Irvine. Um, those were built in like the 60s, 70s. Um, and those are actually quite expensive. I would say the established parts of um, Irvine, like Turtle Rock, uh, are they tr- a big, like call it a 2,500, 3,000 square foot home will sell for close to 2 million to 3 million. Um, and then, oh. the new, yeah, so then there's East Irvine, which is more of the new development built after 2000 um and those are there's a lot of them they're still building it actually daniel was part of i mean if you want to talk the about same the, company that did hunter's point hunter's point yeah. 
has a, a master plan in Irvine called uh, the Great Park. The Great Park, yeah, and that's like fifteen thousand homes and five point amphitheater, and it's kind of they're putting like a, yeah. a water park there yeah, and all really. crazy yeah. stuff. How, yeah. how far is that down the? process right now like as they start have they started or is it yeah, um they're much further along than they are on that project than they are on hunter's point in Canada, uh -huh. in Canada. So it's a lot faster to do stuff down here than in san francisco yeah um and so that that one was an old uh marine air, air base they've probably built close to i don't want to guess but five thousand eight thousand homes there. oh wow um yeah it's all of these business plans are like 20, 30 year business plans. Um, and so they're starting to develop some of the commercial stuff. I think I haven't tracked it that closely because I haven't been with them in a, 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 a long time, but yeah, East of the, um, all the East Irvine products, it's denser. It's, it's a lot denser. You have almost no yards uh, yeah. and they have, they're infamous, I guess, for their Melarose tax. Yeah. So you've hmm. got a, added tax on top of your property taxes, any HOA fees is an additional tax to build out you know, new schools for the area, new sewer lines, electrical lines, et cetera, et cetera. And that's usually the, their direct assessments and their bonds that last up to 40 years. So just as long as you're buying a property in East Irvine, you can assume you have to pay that tax. Yeah. Wait, how, how much is that typically? Like, is it hundreds a, a month or is it? There is no typically there. Yeah. Um, really? Um, um, call it one point eight percent on average. Yeah, that's probably about wow. For your total, okay. yeah. But some of the older community, so there's two main developers. There's Five Point Communities, who I I used to work for. They do a phenomenal job. I have nothing but great things to say about them. And then the Irvine Company, who's basically the uh, the 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 inventor of master plan communities. So the Irvine Company's been around forever. Some of their older projects east of uh, east of the four hundred five and five. Um, have the lower tax rates. All the newer stuff, though, they have to build roads. They have to, mm -hmm. they have to pay for all of those for all, for all the infrastructure. Um, so you are getting something for your money. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's not a profit center for the for the developer. It, it, it pays for the schools. It pays for all the great amenities. They're building. So that one, they're building a massive park that's twice the size of Central Park in the middle of it. Interesting. And Irvine has, I believe, very good uh, public school systems too, know. right? One of the best, the best yeah in southern california oh interesting got it well very good well we'll go ahead and wrap it up so thank you guys for joining i mean i'm sure the audience had learned a lot about the respective uh, areas so christine chow how can uh, people get a hold of you and i'll have your details also in the description too but what's the best way of people getting a hold of you um best way is actually probably texting i mean you definitely call but i do get a lot of phone calls at uh, but my telephone number is 512-293-2700 or my website, um, texasurbanreality.com. Thanks, Spencer. Okay, you bet. And Christina and Daniel, how about you guys? Yeah, text us. That's the best way. We love text. Okay, you guys love text? My number is 949-910-1042. Um, I do have a website, but we're still in process of building it out. So I will nice. really yeah but yeah thank you so much spencer for having us it was actually a really fun yeah video conference <laughs> <laughs> there you go well thank you guys for your time like i said i'm sure a lot of people learned uh, a lot that's why i do these uh, sessions they get to especially people either from the bay area or from all over get to really learn more in depth of what's going on and talking to some of the top agents so 
thank you guys again. And um, yeah. quick housekeeping item. So next week I'll have a I'll have Eric from Maryland that'll be participating. So it'll be interesting to see from a I think he's doing like Maryland and Virginia. So a lot of government um, types of industry. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and what's going on in that that market. But uh, we'll wrap it up. Thank you guys again for joining and uh, see you at the next one. Hey, podcast world. Thank you so much for your support. I do post at least three shows a week. If you like the content, please leave a five-star review, smash that subscribe button, and share it with your friends. Looking forward to have you back at the next one. Bye now.